Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 10th, 2019, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest tonight is Dr. Dravon James, who is the founder of Everyday Peace. An author and motivational speaker, Dravon's goal is to educate, empower, and inspire others to build the life of their dreams, no matter what shows up in their lives, good, bad, or otherwise. Her journey began in poverty on the south side of Chicago. Though she'd always dreamt of a career on the stage, Dravon went on to earn a doctorate in pharmacy from Creighton University and has worked as a pharmacist all of her adult life. Along with her medical career and theatrical aspirations, Dravon has always had a keen interest in personal development. After reading Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking in college, she went on to make a lifelong study of the power we all have to create the life we want. The insight she gained from her study has served her well in good times and bad. Her marriage hit the rocks, several of her pregnancies failed, her career took a tailspin for a time, and her health has been challenged. Yet through it all, she has continued to follow her dreams and now teaches others to do the same. Javon is now the happy mother of two teenagers, a wife of 23 years, a successful pharmacist, a motivational speaker, the author of Freedom is Your Birthright, and an actress whose career credits include a recurring role on HBO's acclaimed The Wire, many stage plays and independent films. She continues to inspire and teach what she knows to be the effective, most effective tool for transforming, creating, and building a spectacular life, tapping into everyday peace. She also hosts her own weekly radio show, Everyday Peace, on Unity Radio. And you can visit her website at drdravonjames.com. And that's D-R for Dr. Dravon, D-R-A-V, like Victor, O N. J-A-M-E-S dot com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com, and the Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And due to another recent flood of requests for readings, there is now up to a 16-week wait for the Stage 1s, and Lavendar is now booking February and asks that her repeat clients please book six months ahead, especially for your solar return. And new clients, if you could, please hold off until we can get caught up. 
Every time someone with a YouTube following recommends us, our waiting list grows, and um, you'll need to order these things in plenty of time. And if you want to uh, have a birthday coming up, if you want to find out when your solar return will happen, um, you can get that pretty quickly. But if you want the interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order about six months ahead. But this is a wonderful thing because it shows an ever-increasing number of starseeds waking up and joining a much larger community of light that covers the globe. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful, fabulous starseed news. <laughs> Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. It's great to be with you tonight. It is a warm, warm night where I am, but I'll tell you what, it is early winter across the planet. We've had the first snowfall of the season coat the Tetons, and there's 4 to 10 inches in the forecast as of today. A dusting of snow coated Rendezvous Peak last night into this morning, marking the first snowfall of the 2019-2020 winter season. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the region. Expect 1 to 3 inches of snow and 4 to 10 inches above the 10,000-foot marker through Wednesday night. Also, there's been the first snowfall of the, week, of the season that's hit Utah. and The snow fell on Bald Mountain in the Uinta Mountains early this morning. This area is about 12,000 feet above sea level. And there was a foot of early snowfall at a ski resort in Norway, but it is still summer. That is unusual for Norway, the northern region that it is. Very early for one foot of snow, even in the mountains. Wow. And Hurricane Dorian remnants brought early snow to parts of Atlantic Canada. After Dorian made landfall as a hurricane-strength post-tropical storm in Nova Scotia Saturday and tracked east, it left behind more than a trail of damage and power outages. It dropped snow in parts of New Brunswick and Labrador later that evening and overnight Sunday. <clears throat> so snow, wind, destruction, all kinds of things from Dorian. And last but not least, snow. And in northern Italy, they have snow. Now, that's a warm climate, Italy, even though there are the Alps there. Well, parts of the Alps turned white first week of September with 11 inches of snow. Wow. Winter's coming. And there was a typhoon uh, in Japan, powerful typhoon Faxi. It, it, it uh, wrecked havoc on the Tokyo transport system. This uh, typhoon landed near Tokyo yesterday morning, killed at least three people, injured about 40, affected hundreds of thousands of rush hour commuters, at the start of the week. There was an earthquake that struck southeast China. It was moderate, a 5.4. It struck in China's mount, one of China's mountainous regions just day before yesterday, injured 63 people. At least 132 houses collapsed. More than 5,000 were damaged. About 2,400 people were relocated. In Australia, well, they're coming into their springtime. We're going into our autumn. But Australian firefighters are battling strong winds and fast-moving blazes. They're working to contain out-of-control brush fires that have destroyed at least 21 houses across two, two states on the East Coast. 
They tell us that more than 100 fires were burning in the states of Queensland and New South Wales this weekend. Uh, They are forecasting little reprieve for firefighters due to conditions caused by drought and little rainfall over their winter. However, even though Australia didn't have much winter, much, uh, excuse me, much rainfall, India has recorded 1,000 extreme rainfall events in the first 12 days of August. There, what they are calling extreme rain events occurred in the quantity of 1,000 first 12 days of August. This was according to data collected by India's science department. This agency describes extremely heavy rain events to be more than eight inches in a day and very heavy rainfall events to be more than five inches in a day. Well, they were calling upon the attentions of leaders that were gathered at the 14th Conference of Parties to the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification. That's a big mouthful. But this was being hosted by India right now. It's going on right now here in September and through the 12th. One Indian official said, we are seeing extremely heavy rain in very few number of days. Uh, He goes on to talk about the 1,000 extremely heavy rain events. He says that the data shows rain has been extreme as up to 3,000% more rain per day. This occurred at the same time there were droughts in the very same states. And they've documented unusually high spikes in rainfall in several areas of India. The health, the minister, the official, Indian official, said, nature's revenge is upon us. And there was a typhoon in South Korea. Didn't know about that, did you? I didn't either. A typhoon passed along South Korea's coast this weekend, toppling trees, grounding planes, causing at least three people to die before the storm made landfall in North Korea. This typhoon knocked out power to more than 127,000 houses across the country. So, lots of upheaval in the climate goes on and on. All right, we're going to talk about technology for a second. Here I go again. You know what? (laughs) I'm going to tell you about this. Google Nest Hub surveillance system lets you bring Big Brother right home with you. Google has a a device called, or a, a system called Google Nest Hub, and it's actually a surveillance system. It's constantly looking for its owner's face, and you can't shut it off. You can't disable it. Uh, This is raising privacy concerns and questions about data misuse by the company that brags it does tow the creepy line. They brag about that. Well, this latest smart home device comes equipped with a constantly scanning facial recognition-enabled camera. Can't be shut off with a switch that supposedly supposedly deactivates a microphone. Who knows? And just as the device is constantly listening for its wake word, wake up, it's prepared to leap into action at the sight of its owner's visage. Now, the Nest Hub, as its name suggests, serves as a hub for other Internet of Things devices like thermostats, surveillance cameras, and doorbells which also come equipped with facial recognition. It also uploads video from your phone calls and camera footage into the cloud and provides a window into your home for anyone with access to your Google or Nest account. Now, Google does admit that its Nest device may, quote, use your facial data to test future features occasionally, 
for product assessment. This kind of vague and non-assuring language is similar to the damage control statements that Google made for sharing Google Home audio snippets, such as their claim that spying on users to involve using language experts was, quote, necessary to create products like the Google Assistant, end quote. So unlike Google Home, which did not inform the users of that fact until after it was made public by a Belgian broadcaster, Nest Hub is now informing users that they're being surveilled and tracked right up front when they set up their face match to begin with. And a giant radio telescope in China just detected repeating signals from across space. We are finding lots of these, folks. This is, this is happening quite a bit. Now from China, from the 500-meter Aperture Spherical Radio Telescope, with the acronym of FAST, located in China, has now picked up a mysterious space signal known as a fast radio burst. Now, fast radio bursts, or FRBs, are brief but powerful pulses of energy from distant parts of the cosmos. The first one was detected in 2007, and we're finding more of them all the time, lots of them. While astronomers have recently made some exciting progress in tracing these fast radio bursts, we don't know exactly what these signals are or where they originate from. What's exciting about this detection in China is that this fast radio burst is a repeater Researchers are telling us that the signal has traveled around 3 billion light years across the universe to reach us. Now everyone is wondering, where is it coming from? What is generating it? What does this mean? They're asking themselves about all of these repeating signals. Something's up out there. What is it? And this is an article that kind of blows my mind. I did edit it. It was very lengthy. But it's from Business Insider, a business magazine. And here's the article. Aliens may have explored the galaxy and visited Earth already, scientists say. They tell us that the Milky Way could be teeming with interstellar alien civilizations. This is according to a brand new study. The study was published last month in the Astronomical Journal. And it posits that intelligent extraterrestrial life could be taking its time to explore the galaxy. To explore the scenarios in which aliens could exist, researchers used numerical models to simulate civilization spread across the galaxy. They factored in possibilities for alien civilization's nearness to star systems, the range and speed of its interstellar probes, and the launch rate of those probes. Now, what the researchers found is that the Milky Way could be filled with settled star systems that we absolutely could not know about. They still held true when they used conservative estimates at the speed and frequency of aliens' interstellar travel. Now, so far, we've detected about 4,000 planets outside our solar system, and none have been shown to host life. But we haven't looked that hard, says the article. There are at least 100 billion stars in the Milky Way and even more planets. One recent study estimated that up to 10 billion of those planets could be Earth-like. Wow. That was in Business Insider. Wow. Really? 
<laughs> there's something up with that. That's that's really something. And I have one more to share with you. I thought this was very interesting. I had no idea of this. Maybe some of you have heard about it. Um, somebody discovered an ancient Chinese earthquake detector. It was invented 2,000 years ago, and it really worked. Now, we still can't act accurately predict earthquakes, but we've come a long way, we think, in detecting and recording and measuring seismic shocks. But many don't realize, including myself, that this process began nearly 2,000 years ago with the invention of the first seismoscope in 132 A.D. by a Chinese inventor. His name was Zhang. Well, this device was remarkably accurate in detecting earthquakes from afar and did not rely on shaking or movement in the location where the device was situated. Now, the ancient Chinese didn't understand that earthquakes were caused by the shifting of tectonic plates in the Earth's crust, or so scientists believe. Who knows what the ancient Chinese understood? Anyway, the article goes on to say that the people explained earthquakes as disturbances with cosmic yin and yang along with heaven's displeasure. And considering the ancient Chinese believed that seismic events were important signs from heaven, it was considered important for Chinese leaders to be able to detect earthquakes anywhere in their kingdom. Well, this ancient seismoscope was an enormous, giant, bronze vessel, almost six feet in diameter. Eight dragons snaked face down along the sides, marking the primary compass points, and in each dragon's mouth was a small bronze ball. Now, the exact mechanism that caused the ball to drop in the event of an earthquake is unknown. They have a theory that a thin stick was set loosely down the center of the barrel, and an earthquake would cause the stick to topple over in the direction of the seismic shock, triggering one of the dragons to open its mouth and release the bronze ball. The sound of the ball striking one of the eight toads, there were eight toads on this device, by the way, would alert observers to the earthquake and would give a rough indication of the earthquake's direction of origin. And the article goes on and on and on about that. But isn't that something? Um, There's a photograph of it. It's absolutely breathtaking, an amazing thing. I had no idea. But there again, science uh, has been uh, with us a long time and certainly... Uh, useful science, I should say. And the ancients knew so many things that are long lost to us. All right, let's have a quote for the week. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. Oh, that's good. Yeah, get more interested in other people than trying to get people interested in you. And the Dalai Lama said, A compassionate attitude helps you communicate more easily with your fellow human beings. As a result, you make more genuine friends, and the atmosphere around you is more positive, which gives you great inner strength. This inner strength helps you to spontaneously content yourself instead of thinking only about yourself. It helps you to think of others, which I think is very important. Sometimes I think we just need to get out of ourselves. And certainly we get a much better response from other people when we show an interest in them. So maybe this week we can all reach out a little more and do a little more and let your light be felt across the planet. It certainly is needed. 
All right. Well, from my heart to yours, each of you have a beautiful week, everybody. Thank you, Arielle, for this opportunity, and we'll get together next week. Okay, Anastasia. Thanks so much. You do a great job with the news, and um, we'll talk to you next week. You bet. Night, everybody. Okay. Good night. Okay, well, I am going to um, get our guest mic open, and it is Drayvon, not Dravon, like I had said in the intro, um, and Lavendar. Okay, get yeah. your mic open. Hi, Drayvon. Welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. This is Arielle. I'm going to turn you over to Lavendar in just a minute. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. So Lavendar is going to um, lead off with your interview. So, Lavendar, go ahead. Take it away. Okay. Well, Darvon, I, I love your book, Freedom is Your Birthright. And what I love about it, two things. It's, it's, it's a little book. You can read it in an hour. And the print is, is big enough to, to see without your glasses. <laughs> I love that. I know, right? We're at that age where we can appreciate both of those. <laughs> the gravity of the, of the That's book. That's important, and let me tell you. Yes, so yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself first, about your, uh, your journey to find your spiritual self, and then tell us what uh, motivated you to write this book. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Yes, so I might tell you a little bit about myself in a nutshell. I have always had a desire to help people um, and to help myself through the helping of other people. I believe, you know, the greatest gift that I can give myself is service. And got that at a very young age from my mom. But when I was going, getting ready to go to college, I had just graduated my senior year of high school. My brother gave me a book, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale, another small, tiny book uh, that you could read in an hour. But that book, reading that book, really um, sealed the deal for me at that point in my life that I knew whatever had just been done for me in that little book was what I wanted to do for somebody else. And, of course, I was 17 years old, um, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, off to college to study pharmacy and to enter the world of health care, which is one way of helping people. And I've been a pharmacist now for just a few months shy of 30 years. And But all through that time, when I first read that book, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale, I started studying what I now call peace I anything that I could put my hands on, taking notes, and just really digging through this concept and wondering, you know, what was my journey all about and and what was the journey of other people all all about and how, honestly, it it was age 17. I laugh now when I think about it and I look back at some of my journals. Really what I was looking for, what I said I was looking for in all my studies was how to have no problems. Imagine that, the mind of a 17-year-old. And so I was looking, you know, could I live a life? Could I could I do um, the right thing and, and, and this and that? And, of course, what I discovered, I talk about a little bit in the book, is that what I discovered is that I was going to learn and grow and develop in much the same way that everything on the planet learns and grows and develops. Uh, so I did have a fair share of trials and tribulations, but um, I grew through that, through that and develop a concept that I now call peace, which is wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, um, totality. Not my personal definition, but a definition that I picked up over the years to say this really is what peace is. And 
along that, knowing that so that everything that shows up in my life, those things that look like they're absolutely marvelous and I'd like more of them, please, you know, you talk to the universe that way sometime. And then those things that I would like to never happen again and everything in between, the good, the bad, and everything in between, everything that shows up in my life and in the lives of others shows up, I believe, for one purpose, and that is to bow down and serve us as we go on to build the life of our dreams and however we define the life of our dreams. And I know, and I talk about this in the book as well, is that, you know, my life, my journey, my beginning was really, really rough. I grew up um, in poverty, homeless at times, and had that whole experience. But it was those experiences prepared, prepared me better for other experiences and grew me in ways that perhaps I might not have grown if I hadn't had them. So a little bit about where I come from and, and why I'm here in this moment is that I celebrate that part of my life, and I celebrate those challenges. And we have challenges today, but it's because of those challenges of yesterday's that I know that the challenges of today also come with one purpose, bow down, serve me, so that I can go on and develop the life of my dreams in service to mankind. So in your book, I noticed that you um, have a chapter where you talk about the past, how people uh, spend so much time thinking about the past, trying to to relive the past and, and correct the past. Can you give us some insight on how to step out of that? Oh, yes. In fact, that um, I have this definition of chaos. I don't know if it's mine because, you know, you read so many things over the years. You borrow stuff from everywhere. But I know I have it on my bulletin board at work. I wrote up there, chaos is, is attempting to live in more than one space at one time, in the past, in the future, and the now. And we spend so little of our time in the now. We are, the past has a lure to us, whether we are thinking, oh, my gosh, the good old days. And we hear people talk about that all the time, trying to recreate those good old days. And we know that one thing we can never do, all the things that science has figured out how to do, is that we we can't reach back and change five minutes ago. It's gone. So our power exists in the now, but there is something comforting for us as beings, myself as included sometimes, because we know the past, right? We know that. we It's no... Uh, even if it may be a, pa- a past that has some pain in it, well, it's a predictable pain, predictable because we've already experienced it, and yes, we've already survived it. So in some sense, it's it's a, a, a desire to hold on to something that's safe because we know that past. And as a being, a lot of us cling to, you know, we don't feel safe. We, we don't want change, and that trying to hold on to the past, it traps us it, it, it prevents us from really using our most powerful resource, which is the, the now, this moment right now, which is where all of our power comes from. When we talk about creating the life of our dreams, we can only do that now. We can't do it tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. And we can't do it yesterday because we have not yet figured out how to go back and change every little thing from yesterday and be in that space and currently be in this space. Right now is all that we have, and it's more than enough. If we could figure out, really figure out, how to stay present in this moment. So the past is, is a lure, but it's really we, we don't have any power there. It's like watching TV all day long. Nothing wrong with TV, but after a while, you got to get out there and get in the cycle of life and be a part of it. 
I noticed that um, uh, I don't know what page it, oh page forty two in your book. You have a whole little description of right and wrong. You know, we live in a polarity existence. You know, everything is based on polarity on this planet. But to step out of polarity and to be an observer and not a participant seems to be a lot of what the star seeds are up to right now. So can you give us a little insight to what you think about what is happening with right and wrong and the way we view it? Oh, yes. We love, you know, that that, that space of judgment. Yeah. You know, right or wrong, and give you know yes or no. This space of being in judgment, and once we enter this space of you know being in judgment, we actually step out of a, a powerful space too, and being in judgment of others, being in judgment of ourselves, locks us down. It takes it strips away some of our power. So knowing how to be, I, I like to use this imagery. In fact, I drew this picture one day in one of my journals I was just writing and said, saying that if I could figure out, if we could figure out as a people how to exist just above ourselves, you know, and I know that may sound like otherworldly, but just above ourselves where, where we're not quite um, otherworldly but not so hinged and trapped into this world. We move out of judgment and we, we move into a space of allowing, of allowing and, op- and observing, even before we get to allowing, just to be in this space of observing and, and watching without free of judgment or condemnation or blame, just to be in this space of observing our life would calm down so many things that are going on with us. Uh, we realize that when we are judging, when we're in the space of right or wrong, if we were just to take note of our our chemical, uh, physical energy, how tense that is for us, you know, how this is not a place of peace, it's not a place of wholeness, right? We are blocking off some of our streams of productivity and creativity when we get into the space of right or wrong, this or that. And realizing if we could be just observers without I know judgment. sometimes we're afraid of being wrong, and you have in your book, this fear of making mistakes screams ego. Never forget the ego wants to protect the flesh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought yes. that was really right on. So, so you, can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Yes, oh, our little friend, the ego. And i got to tell you, I'm, I'm not a person who's really, really hard on, on ego at all. I, I realize its place, and, and I equate my ego, and I, and I do it in the book, I think, as a two-year-old, my two-year-old self. And so if you ever had the privilege, any of us, of being around a two-year-old, boy, they're so adorable, and they're so wonderful. But could you imagine allowing a two-year-old to solve your problems. We probably just would just laugh that out, you know, say, oh, my gosh, Javon, that's so ridiculous. But that's what the two-year-old is. It's that part of ourself that really sees that, you know, it feels deeply that it wants to protect us. It wants us to remain safe. And sometimes the ego feels unsafe in some really ridiculous things, you know, we can think of things that ignite our ego. Maybe we don't feel like people like us or we don't feel like um, we're safe because they disagree with us. And the ego, you know, rears its two-year-old head and says, you know, there is something that's going on here and we're unsafe, right? So it makes an awareness for us and that in itself is terrible. But then it goes one step further and it says, and I am going to protect you. Now, we know how ridiculous it is, is that a two-year-old would have the solution, but that's what the ego tries to do. It tries to say there's an injustice here. We're not safe, and I have the answer. 
person, I have the answer. And so just becoming aware of our ego, I believe that if you stand up to fight the ego, it's like fighting a two-year-old, you know, going into a screaming match with a two-year-old. As big and strong and as experienced as we are, most people would just shudder to, you know, think, oh, my gosh, I'm in the middle of the grocery store and I'm having this temper tantrum occasion with a two-year-old. And we would avoid that. We would use soft tones. We would use more reasoning rather than get into a a boxing match with a two-year-old. That's the same way it is with our ego. The ego really has good intentions, but it does not have the skill set to solve any problems. It really doesn't. So we've got to be able to recognize the ego. Oh, that's the ego, and the ego is offended, and be able to settle the ego back down and coax it back into its place so that it doesn't run amok and start trying to fix things, you know, trying to use a screwdriver when a hammer is due or vice versa. The ego just doesn't have the skill set to solve any problems. You know, I notice in, in, in life, through meeting other people and doing the things that I've been doing all this time, that I find that a lot of people uh, have genius and have really great masterships, and all of a sudden they'll drop into their 12-year-old to make decisions. It's like they're emotionally stunned, like something must have happened to them at the age of 12, or I'm just using 12 as an example. But have you found that, that you can you can deal with some of the high-profile people on the planet, and yet emotionally they're 12 years old? Have you found that? Oh, yeah, I find that in myself sometimes, right? <laughs> You know, we we go to this, right, because we we all have these experiences, you know, as as lovely as life may have been or as as difficult as it may have been, there are things that if we don't deal with them, and even if we do, sometimes if we're quite honest, they rear themselves back up. Now, the more we practice it, awareness and techniques, um, we are able to see that part of ourselves and say, oh, isn't that sweet, you know, or isn't that and see that part of our, our 12-year-old self and, and put it back into its place. But, yeah, we see that all the time with people. They get stuck in wherever, and it's defensiveness. You know, it's always they feel unsafe on some level. They feel as though, oh, I'm, I'm not safe here. I'm not safe, and, and therefore I have to shut down, or therefore I have to be overly aggressive, or, you know, whatever their uh, protective method is. It is always comes back to a fear mechanism that's running, you know, just below the current for a lot of people that when they hit a certain trigger or something will happen. And you always see that with people, too, who block themselves from success. They'll get to a certain point, and then they say, you know, well, this is where, you know, I, I, I self-sabotage here because I get to a certain point and I can't, you know, what have you, I can't move past this point. And it all it's an under, undercurrent of fear. Whatever, whatever phase you get stuck to, and and really becoming once you become aware that that's happening, oh my gosh, you're in such a good position to move past it. It's become this the awareness part of feeling because so often we want to numb down our feelings. We don't want to feel anything, so we just go back and we go on autopilot. Okay, this is a trigger, and this is how I happen. This is what I do when that trigger happens without even thinking. We don't want to feel that pain. We don't want to feel that fear. So we let that 12-year-old automatic response take over instead of saying, "Nope, I'm going to stay fully awake and conscious through this, and I'm going to coax myself gently through the other side. That we're not going to get stuck here." Let's talk a little bit about what you wrote about Move On Beyond Procrastination. I thought that was a great title, Move On <laughs> Beyond Procrastination. 
for all you Libras out there, this is for you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, procrastination, getting stuck. Right here's another here's another way to get to get stuck instead of just you know lighting a fire under ourselves and moving on to the next thing. They say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? One bite yeah. at a time. Not looking at the the whole thing because oh my gosh, if we think you know any of us at least my own life is an example of all the things that I have ahead of me to accomplish even in this particular day. For me, I get tired. I'm automatically sleepy. <laughs> I feel like oh I can't I can't do it. But just looking at what is the next right thing to do in this moment. In realizing the title of the book is Freedom is Your Birthright, that not only are you free to make that decision, but you're free to not make the decision of stopping here, right? That's part of our 12-year-old response, if you stick with that example. Our 12-year-old response, too, has us to get stuck in procrastination. It has us to get overwhelmed or, you know, um, get stuck in um I'm not what I am not, and this is what I am. I am not able to. I am not qualified to. Whatever, all those little I am nots keep us stuck in procrastination, keep us from moving to the next level of greatness. And we want it. We definitely want it. It's even confusion sometimes because it's stuck in procrastination because we don't know. We can't see clearly. There was a wonderful book that I read many years ago uh, entitled Just Enough Light for the Step That You're On. And I like that. I think, yeah, yeah, it's really, really, really good book. And um, I was going through a, a huge loss in my life, and so it gave me that book. And I realized that with procrastination, is because we want enough light for maybe five or six steps ahead, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, mm, I only can see, and I'm not really sure what's over, what's around the corner there. So again, this under um, current of fears is. Why don't we just, you know, if we're using Drayvon's world, why don't we just take a long nap? <laughs> right? And we just never get, we never get around to it. But we've got, got to push past that. And how we, how we really do that is just the next thing, not not the next five or six things, just the next small thing, the next small thing. Not never overwhelming ourselves. Crucial you know that. Moving past. You know, after that, I turn the page and it says. Stop rushing through the present moment. Can you elaborate on on how that works? That's moving into the future, and, and you know, and so, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but all these things are, are um, first strip us of our power, and then secondly, our fear based because this now, right now, right, all the power we have not to procrastinate is now. We have to do something now, right? But then there is, and this is still procrastination, uh, but. Those of us who are so focused on getting to tomorrow that we pay no attention to today, so focused on tomorrow that we pay very little attention to today because for whatever reason that today seems undoable. You know, if we can't handle today, maybe there's too many things going on today. There's too much pain present today. So we'll move on into that future. And moving on to the future isn't always pleasant for a lot of people, too. They're sometimes dealing in that future already in a state of anxiety. So they rush to that because they think, well, there's something I can worry about tomorrow today, and that will fix tomorrow. We know logically that doesn't work. But what it does is 
handicapped us, and I love your example about the 12-year-old self, it handicapped us so that we go back to that 12-year-old mode and we do nothing in this moment here, rushing to the future. No, again, all of our power is right here, in this moment right here. We solve solve procrastination by acting now. We, We dwell in this moment and we enjoy this moment by not rushing and attempting to take care of tomorrow, today. We can't do that. We have no idea about tomorrow. It's a simple, uh, what I call a simple complex, because the principles are very simple. When we think about these things, we say, oh, these things are not deep. I know this. It's complex because when we get into the thick of it and life starts doing what it does and, and moving fast and so many demands and things that look like disappointment and problems, we think, well, you know, um, either it's too painful in this moment, I'll rush to the next moment, or i got to go to the next moment to dwell on what I think is going to happen there. So that, that rushing to the next moment just robs us of joy and power. I also noticed that on page 59 you have something in, in bold type that says, freedom in forgiveness. Oh, that's big. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Freedom yes, in forgiveness. That's another little book that I'm going to write, um, working on. Forgiveness is going to be another little tiny book. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful tools on the planet, and who do we forgive first? Ourselves. A lot of, and I talk to a lot of people, Lavender, and people tell me all the time that, boy, I can't forgive um, this, whatever this is. And some things, you know, my heart just pours out to them because they're just really heavy things. But what I, what I hear them saying is that I don't forgive myself for whatever thing. I, I can't forgive myself. So when we learn that to forgive ourselves for everything, there's a phrase that my grandmother used to say that I still say quite frequently, and that is, when I know better, I do better. I, when I know better, I do better. And it makes me feel so comforted because just hearing something that's better doesn't mean that I know it. It just means that I heard it. It doesn't mean that I have accepted it as part of my being. And that's the same thing with uh, with everything in our behavior. We get so locked down and, oh, I wish I, I didn't have or didn't do this or I would have, should have, or could have done this differently, that we become our own biggest critic, which robs us of compassion for others and empathy for others. Imagine a world where we don't have compassion and empathy for others. But a lot of times when we get stuck in unforgiveness, it's because we don't have it for ourselves. We haven't developed that self-care, that self-love that says, when I know better, I do better. Not as an excuse, but as a truth. As a truth. And that allows us to move into this forgiveness because when I can forgive me, then I can forgive everybody else. And imagine how free that is. Um, I know we've all heard this, you know, unforgiveness is like, you know, me taking poison and expecting the other person to die. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, I've swallowed the poison. Why aren't you gone? No. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we're holding on to poison that's eating us up inside. So exercising our freedom is to say, I choose to forgive you. And forgiveness is vulnerable, is vulnerability. People are afraid of that because they feel as though if I let go of my unforgiveness, I make myself more vulnerable to this happening again when just the opposite is true. Just the opposite is true. It doesn't mean that I accept 
this behavior and that I don't have healthy boundaries, it means that I let go of judging and harboring, and I accept the humanness in you and the humanness in me. You know, they say to, to err is human. I accept that, and I move beyond that. I, I, I surrender my, and I love this, I surrender my right to be angry. Isn't that something? I surrender my right to be angry. Because I hear some stories sometimes that I tell you, I, people, I'm like, wow. You know, I do understand the pain that you must feel from that. But I do know that on the other side of forgiveness is a freedom that you deserve. And that you and you and you alone can unlock that door for yourself. No one can come and force you to forgive. You have to make that decision for yourself. And that freedom is your birthright, and that's the name of your book. <laughs> right <Yeah>. there. <laughs> <laughs> so on page 50, on 68, I'd like to read this paragraph. It says, no victims allowed. You may have been challenged, hurt, betrayed, beaten, and discouraged, but nothing has defeated you. You're still here. You have been delayed but not denied. You are not a victim. You are a victor. You have a history of victory. It's by Steve Marabola, Unpolitically You. I guess that's a book that he wrote. That really is a very strong message about victimization. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, my goodness. Yes, who amongst us have not have something that happened to them that they wish they would not have, have happened? And some things are more tragic than others. We'll say that from the start. But here is the thing that I say when I talk to myself and, and, and other people. We are here telling the story about something that happened in the past. Take a moment and just sit in that and realize how powerful that is. We are here telling the story about something that happened to us in the past. Not that someone else is telling the story. So that within itself is powerful, right? That I get to tell you this story about the past, which means that I am victor, not victim, over that past. I stand here in whatever condition that I may be in, recounting the story for you. I am the I am the power. I give the story all of the power that it has. I use the emphasis here and I put the pauses there. I paint the picture. That's I am the creator. I am now holding the paintbrush. That is powerful. That is so powerful. How you can two the same thing could happen to two people with the exact same circumstances, and one person will say, "Oh, I can't move beyond this 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 event right here was the reason that I never flourished, that I never trusted, that I never loved, that I never moved on, and another person will say, "This event right here was the reason that I knew I had to move on, that I knew I had to grow, that I had to love for." if for no other reason than to tell this story, to maybe save someone else from this circumstance. Understanding that we we are not victims. We are not victims. As long as we are able to be in the present moment talking about telling the tale from yesterday, we are not victims. We are victorious. We must see ourselves that way. So do you have a practice? Do you have a coaching practice? I don't coach one-on-one. I do workshops, and I do um, keynote speaking, but mostly through workshops. 
I'm not coaching one-on-one. Okay. Okay. Well, you'd be good at it. Oh, you're so kind to say so. Oh, you would. You 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 have um your your whole resonant field is confident enough to stand in that space and you ought to think about it because um a lot of one-on-one I know that you meet a lot of people in your when you travel in, in groups, but there are certain people that will really need your fine touch. You oh, need to think about it. You are the maybe the second person this month who has told me that, and so I am considering it strongly. I meet people all the time who say, Draymond, you should do a coaching business, and I never thought about working one-on-one. I like workshops, but I, I do believe that service serves me it lightens my heart, and it, it, you know, if it, it sounds almost um, otherworldly, but I breathe better when I can help someone else, even as a pharmacist, but especially in this world that I call everyday peace. So I will definitely take that under advisement because second person this month, and the month has just started. <laughs> so, are you still a pharmacist? Do you go to work in your pharmacy every day? I do. I do. I am the. Um, program manager for a large hospital pharmacy. So one of these days you can quit that job and just step out and do all of this full time. Lavender, you you are speaking from <laughs> to the universe right now because this is the conversation that I had and I said, "Boy, I would I would absolutely love I could see myself doing that and I don't know why I hadn't actually pursued it, but now having this conversation, I'm going to do that." Because I would absolutely love to be, to be able to serve in that capacity. Well, maybe somebody will contact you and and uh, give you support and 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 give you a formula of how to step out of of that other world and step into this world. Because we have a lot of counselors that have uh, had eight to five jobs and really been dedicated to their to their work, and then all of a sudden, after 2012, it seems like they started really listening to their passion, and they finally figured out ways to step out of their 8-to-5 job and do this work full-time. And with technology the way it is, you know, I do sessions on Zoom, and I can talk to anyone all over the world. Just hook up on Zoom, I record the session, and uh, then they can hear it later. And and I think you would do very well just doing people that that are stuck in their victimization or stuck in places where you have um, the ability to take the key and unlock them. Oh, and isn't that isn't that what we're all here to do in some capacity, right? Yeah. Because even even right now, just listening to you talk, and it's like you're unlocking something in me, and that's what we're here for. Really, I do believe this, and, and making sure that I keep it <laughs> very earthly, but I do believe this here is that there. Our people, we come together, and I love that key and lock sort of analogy because we come together, and it is we turn it just a little bit, and someone else goes in and they insert a key and they turn it just a little bit, and that's our whole purpose is to one another each other. That's right, and because of what we're in right now in the world, I mean, we see so much torment and 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 people going tribal against each other. It's like I'm I'm viewing this from, it's almost like I'm I'm, I'm watching another world. Uh, it's like not the world that I grew up in. You know, things are happening around me, and I'm going, "Wow, did I did I sleep too long?" <laughs> and I just now woke up, and this is what's happened. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, you, because you see, it's all fear-based, right? Everyone yeah. is perceived, you know, instead of me seeing you as my sister, seeing you, and it's the two-year-old ego. She, it's on uh, super sensitive mode, high alert, right? Everything is a threat. Yeah. Every, everything is a threat. I just told a young person the other day, I said, you know, you, I really want you to believe that you live in a friendly world. Einstein said that we have to make a decision every day. Do I live in a hostile world or a friendly world? And whatever you answer that is the world that you will find. It's because that's the world you will create. Yeah. It's it it's as simple as is the half full glass or half empty glass. It's all about I tell my tell my clients and and the people around me they hear me say this all the time. You know, don't get caught up in all those crazy belief systems out there stay really simple there's up spiral alive and living and then there's down spiral death and dying and if you stay with those two energetics and and when you look at your food you go is that alive and living or is that death and dying when you're in a conversation with a person is that alive and living or is that death and dying keep it really simple it's called keep it simple stupid (laughs) Oh, I know. I love that. I love it. Is that alive and living, or is that death and dying? Yeah. Oh, and and we can and we can apply that little test, that little rule, to everything, uh-huh. even with our thoughts. You know, Absolutely. so often, so often we already, um, you know, murder our entire day before we get out of the bed. Oh yeah. Know, before we get out of the shower, we've already burned up everything in our path because, as you <laughs> said, is that alive or living or <laughs> death and dying? Yeah. You know, we make that decision that yeah. the world is against me. Yeah. The world is against me, and whenever I start, and we, you know, and that's that two-year-old inside of me. Whenever I start having those thoughts, I stop and I just, you know, sort of look at myself. I tell people oftentimes that my eyes are pointing in the wrong direction. They're pointing outward, and they should point inward. Because, and I could just look and see that little two-year-old and say, I know you're scared, but the yeah. world loves you. The world loves you. What you think you see, you don't necessarily see. We don't have to interpret that way. We don't have to interpret it as, you know, someone's out to get you. We don't have to look at it that way. And no, you'll still be okay. True. You're yep. no more safe. I think we believe that we're safe when we pick the death and dying path. We believe yeah. that that makes us safe. You know, I've chosen this rough and tough path, and therefore I'm not. I'm no longer vulnerable. It's not true. You know, one day I was walking in in a forest uh, in Cripple Creek, Colorado, and um, I was really into high vibration, and I was very aware that nature was my textbook. I mean, I'd look around and and just see the insects and ants and spiders and and berries and. But the tree, the tree gave me the real message because it was alive and living and it was spiraling up. And then the next walk that I made a few months later by that same tree, it was it was receding and the sap was going down in the ground. It was in a down spiral and it was going to sleep for the winter. And so I took that tree experience and then in the spring, here it came back again. And so that's when I really started noticing that nature being my textbook was giving me a very strong lesson about up spiral and down spiral because nature was showing us how it works. Yes, I love that. Yeah. yeah if, we, if we flow with, and just be in flow, be in flow. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we were just in flow? 
and we maintain balance instead of kicking and fighting against the current. Right. Right. Be that that's so and I don't know about you, but when I talk to people and, and even when I when I talk coach myself as I, as it were, I do realize there is a, a lot of our turmoil, if you will, comes from the fact that we do we we believe that we should use our power to kick and fight against the current existence instead of saying that in this moment, in this moment, my power exists. Let me see how I can partner with uh, the season, whatever the universe is doing now, whatever whatever cycle I'm in now. Because we and I talk about this in the book, we're not meant to remain the same. Change. We are meant to evolve. That's another word for change. <laughs> right. A lot of people. A lot of people are afraid to change. You know, they are. Oh my. They're afraid yes. to change. It threatens the ego because the ego's two years old, and and that's that's my example of it. And I'll say she because my you know me she she doesn't know what she doesn't know, and she does know what she does know, and and then that's the here and now. So she thinks to herself, well, you're talking about maybe there's going to be a change in career. You're moving to coaching. You've been a pharmacist for thirty years, and boy, that sounds nice. I'm not going to do it because it's a change. And I don't know that but word. 30 years of being in pharmacy, honey, that's enough. That's <laughs> just who, enough. Who are you telling me? <laughs> <laughs> if it's not fixed by now, I think we can just go ahead and leave it alone. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm looking at the time, so I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, at this time. She has the switchboard. I have really enjoyed speaking with you today. And I want to compliment you again on your little booklet because you can read it in an hour. And it's called <clears throat> Freedom is Your Birthright. So bravo, girl. So I, I can't you, wait Abby. to see what you're going to write next. And when you do, let us know, and and you can come back on our show. Oh, thank you so much. You okay. Wonderful thank you, honey. You. Bye-bye. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, I know that you have limited time, um, so do you have to go, or can can you chat a little bit longer? Oh, I can chat a little bit longer. I, 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 I said I could, I could do an hour and a half. So yeah, I wish I had known. I'm having such a great time. Okay, so well we, we started, we time. you know, we started an hour and a half ago. So I just wanted to make sure. Oh no, I was that I wasn't. Like, um, well, eight thirty my time, so another thirty minutes. Oh, okay, okay. Well, you know, in in the last part of your your conversation with Lavendar, um, Lavendar has uh, come up with a list of filters that people use, and <clears throat> excuse me, every um, all these filters will um, influence the way you perceive things. And if you're not aware that you have those filters, then your perceptions are going to be off. Uh, filters like you know, your religious upbringing or your parents telling you, um, you know, uh, <laughs> well, their parents will say things to kids all the time. It's like, you know, you're so messy or you're so this or you're so that. And and those programs they stick with you. Um, so, and I know that this this fits into what you do, um, maybe in, in different verbiage. But do you have you ever considered the you know the filters that people they'll run everything through these filters? And it and obviously the filters are going to be you know the two year olds and the twelve year olds, the ego, um, and the way it's been trained. So. Oh, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. 
I do. I do. I've never used those terms, and I love that, running it through a filter. But, you know, we all have a story that we tell ourselves, right? And uh-huh. every, everything, and I love, you know, having these filters. Is it your religion that says it puts these, um, let's call them boundaries, if you will, but it puts these expectations, and, I, and that was a big one for me. I would say, well, you know, well, how would that measure up with my beliefs? Or uh, just coming from, I, I had a very, very traumatic childhood, and you know, you, I grew up with, even though I was a searcher of truth and peace very, very young, and I'm so blessed and thankful for that journey in my life, but still I had my insecurities, and, I, and as you say, filters. I had things that I would filter things through. Well, is this an environment uh, where I'm going to be safe? Is this an environment that where I'm going to be judged? Is this an environment where I'm going to feel less than because of the way I see the world, the way the the fears that I come into the situation with, the way I see myself, right? And I think when we talk about filters and the things that you know my the adults, you know, the things that the adults in my life showed me that I saw the world through their eyes and their fears, you know. Those mm-hmm. filters, I believe, can change everything. And once we become aware, and I love the term filters, once we become aware that we're using a filter, I think we move back into consciousness. Once just that awareness that, hey, maybe there is another way to see this, to experience this. You know, maybe there is another way. Once we get into that space, I believe um, we are now not using the filter. It's suspended for a moment, and we can just be in the in the nowness and the isness of the moment. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and one of the I'm I'm just kind of going in my mind all these. I mean, there was a list like thirty or forty. Um, <clears throat> we're just kind of sitting and brainstorming. And and one of the filters uh, we called secondhand judgment. That's when mm-hmm. when you you buy into someone else's judgment, and someone says, "Well, this is bad," so you think so too, especially if that person were in an influential position in your life, and now you've got a filter for life. Every time you come across that, oh, that's bad, and you ne- and you never really, you know, experienced it yourself. You just believed. The, the judgment of someone else that was implanted within you, and yeah. you know, and all these all, all these things that you've been talking about um, contribute to um, robbing us of peace in every day, in you know, feelings of well-being. So, would you oh. say that if if a person is um, unhappy for any reason, or or angry, or just you know, things are not going really great. What would be the the first thing that you would ask them to do, to take a look at? Yeah, the first thing I, I, I and it's so interesting that you say this because this is one of the number one things that people that we talk about is how to deal with um, what you're feeling in this moment. The, with the the first thing I said, the very first thing is to become totally aware of what you are feeling, without shame judgment or condemnation or blame become totally aware of it totally aware and say okay i am feeling whatever it is you know whatever the person angry you know uh because people are, will start there because anger is not vulnerable is it it still it still seems protective to 
because if I'm angry, you think of maybe a big dog and you won't get too close and you can't do anything to, to me. And then I said, well, once you become aware of what that first thing, name that emotion. Once you become aware of what you're feeling, sit with that for a minute. Don't try to change anything. And then ask yourself, well, what if, what am I feeling that's led to this anger? What's the feeling below the anger? What's that feeling? That generally takes a few, a little bit longer to, to recognize because now we're getting close to some vulnerability. And I will tell you that people will say, oh, it's sadness. Good, good. So you realize that it's anger and then you're sad. You feel betrayed maybe. Oh, what's beneath, what's beneath there? What's beneath there? Oh, that's fear. Because it really mostly comes back to fear. The end, so we say, okay, well, I, and there's no judgment there, but that's a bit more vulnerable. Now we're aware of it. And then let's now accept. We'll accept the anger. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of times when I talk to women, we have a very hard time dealing with anger. The fact that, you know, we've been taught that we should not be angry about anything. We should always be, and that's not realistic. Anger is one of the emotions on the rainbow of emotions. We will experience anger. We will experience sadness. We will experience fear. So from awareness to acceptance, and then looking and seeing. This is a difficult one, Ariel. Is what I'm feeling, what what I'm experiencing, what part of this is selfish? What part of it is totally focused on me getting what I want? Not that that's wrong, no judgment, no shame, no condemnation in that question. But what part of this is totally focused on me getting what I want? And I'll give you a quick example of that had a really difficult day at work one day and you know as work can be a thousand things coming a lot a lot of demands at one time and so then there was the anger and then there was the the uh, maybe self-pity like oh woe is me and then underneath there was the fear that if I don't perform you know what are the um, end results of being a low performer and what have you and bingo I realized in that moment that this was all about me going back to my 12-year-old self and maybe even before that, my 2-year-old self, of I am not safe in this demanding environment. So I, I really encourage people and try to walk them through that process of really let's go into, into you. Let's really figure out what's here. And we'll land on that nice, soft, comfortable spot, that safe area, when we realize that whatever it was you were feeling, you're you're safe to feel that. But we don't have to react on everything that we feel. They're feelings, and they really have come to serve us, to reconnect us with our inner self. That's what this whole journey is about in my mind. From my perspective, is that that feeling, whatever it is, it wasn't meant for you to lash out or behave erratically. This emotion has come to serve you. You're just that important. Yeah, and I mean, even as you said earlier on, some of the worst times that um, that any of us have been through, there's a silver lining. If you can, if you can just look for it, 
uh, you know, and some people, I guess, don't look for it. They just oh. they go for the you know the worst possible results of that and and kind of you know hang on to the misery. But you know, I mean, some of the most tragic things that have happened um, not only in my life but other people's lives. It makes them stronger. It teaches them things, and often you learn more from from that turmoil than you if you know. I mean, if you lived on an island and everything was just the same every day, <laughs> there's not a lot of growth when you don't have that those challenges. But the challenges will serve to to teach us. It's like okay, um, I would choose not to go through that again, and what can I do? to um to ensure that but take the good from it and build on it yeah and oh oh and i love it what can i do to take the good good from that learn from it and grow from it right what can i do to take the good from it and what can we do is to become aware of this is that we are safe as long as we feel as though we are fearful we're going to behave in a fearful manner and I love I I have two children who are now teenagers, one's in college and one's in junior in high school. And I love going back to when they were small and even sometime now I have a occasion to do this, but certainly a lot more when they were smaller, what was to just let them talk about their day, but wrap them up in my arms as they talk to me about it and feel their little body just relax as they tell me about how how scary it was or how unfair it was, but they feel safe because they're wrapped in my arms. Go ahead, tell me more about it. Go ahead, tell me more about it. You know, and I had a son, and he would try to, like, wiggle free because, you know, he's a boy. And I said, no, just, just lay here with Mommy. Let, let me hold you while you tell me this story. And then he, he would just relax. Oh, well, you know, I said, now, can you see this from a different perspective? Can you see how maybe the coach... Oh, yeah, but, but he felt safe. It's all about feeling safe first. This is why we have so many other things, you know. I mean, this conversation, we're talking about one thing, but if you think about how people slip into addictions, it's because they're looking for a place to land that is safe so that, that will help them unpack these painful things as they're, as they're happening or maybe un, not unpack them because if you're not in a healthy place, the unhealthy way is saying, don't unpack that, don't deal with that, suppress that emotion, you're not strong enough. But the healthy love is saying, no, you're safe. And right now you're feeling fear or right now you're feeling anger and that is an emotion. We're not going to suppress it. We're going to let it run its course. But we're going to do it in a safe way. Go ahead. Go ahead and get all that out. Let that run out like poison. Okay, there we go. And you can do that in this safe environment. And we talked earlier about, you know, each of us holding the key to unlock a little portion of somebody else's soul, if you will, or their life experience. And that's what we do for each other. We hold that space if we'd like to, if we, you know, if we would stand up to that, to that wonderful part of service is to hold that space for someone so that they can experience that emotion because they're going to experience it one way or the other. One way or the other. We're going to experience sadness. We're going to do the whole rainbow of emotions. We're going to have a lot of joy and a lot of laughter, but yes, there will be some rain that falls in everyone's life. And rain is okay. It's okay. We'll make it through there. It will take relationships, and that's why, you know, the universe has more than one or two of us on it. 
there's plenty of us to help shoulder and pull the next person along and be that safe place for them. Well, it's it's the it's the um, the condition of compassion and 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 no judging and and caring enough to to listen, let someone talk something out um and let them know that that you're not you're not judging. You're just supporting and and listening. And that I mean that's it gets overlooked. And and I mean truly <laughs> I mean it it at least in 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 my life in my perspective it's the the third dimension is just an illusion anyway and and if you know if if uh if if there's a, a like a tv station that's playing something you don't like well you just you change the channel um uh, you know you don't have to participate yes you're so you know, like, just I love it. Just change the channel, and we're able to do that. That's why I think shows like this, this program right here, is so important to go forth in the universe because right now there's someone who's listening, and they feel warm and connected to something, right? And so then they go forth and they give that warm, connected feeling to somebody else because if you first don't self-love and first take care of self. It's very difficult for you to do this for somebody else on an authentic, organic way without it stripping you and you just feel so drained, like, oh, I have nothing else to give. And I talk to people all the time who are empaths and they're givers, and they just feel like, I'm just, I'm just stripped. I have nothing else to give. Well, you've got to go to a place where you first are forgiving yourself. You're listening to programs like this where you're energized and you're being fed and and wrapped up in these loving arms that you can then go forth and be that strength for somebody else. That strength for somebody. Someone asked me um, over the weekend, said to me, well, aren't we, what you're saying, Drayvon, sounds as though you're accepting um, bad behavior. And then there there goes that judgment again, good and bad. But you're accepting bad behavior. And I said, no, I'm just accepting behavior. We all have it. I'm just accepting the person, knowing that this is a season that they're transitioning through, and they will do it more gracefully if there's somebody there to love them and and hold on to them as they go through that part. They'll go through it, you know. They'll go through that storm or that that season. Much much fewer battle scars if we stand in the in the gap and hold on to them. Oh, that is so. It is so true, and you know, and it makes us feel good. <clears throat> you know, when when you when you do something um, for someone, just a random act of kindness. That's a two-way street, and and it's you know the the premise of paying it forward. Um, and always, you know, you have the the power to change your perspective and your perception. At any moment, and I've had this demonstrated a lot of times in my life when I was kind of um, <clears throat> getting into that oh poor me, um, you know, because I it's like oh man I have to go do this and I have to drive through the rain and then I've got to get out of the car and take all this stuff out of the car and you know ruin my hairdo and and oh you know how come I have? and then just as I'm sitting here just you know feeling self pity. Uh, I'm in the car and I look over and there's a man sitting in a wheelchair in the rain 
at a bus stop and talk about a reality shift immediately. Oh. And any time I ever yes. start getting that, you know, like, oh, 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 poor me, what do I have to do? Immediately, almost, the universe will send someone who's got it way worse. You know, the guy standing yeah. on the corner with a sign. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a real um, shift immediately when it's like, oh, my gosh, I've got a car. And here's all these people standing at the bus stop. So you just have to put things in perspective sometimes and see your life through the eyes of someone less fortunate. Uh, because right. we all... Then, go ahead. I'm sorry. I say we all forget our blessings. They become like, like, you know, granted. Yeah. So, and the guy at the bus stop, sir, you know, now here's the beautiful thing about this uh, relationship. I just love it. The wonderful example you just gave because the guy at the bus stop in the rain, in the wheelchair, while you're in your car, was a service to you right? mm-hmm. because he brought you back to consciousness and awareness, right, without even knowing it, him just being him, right, his energy, loving and reached out and gave you an opportunity to reconnect because, oh, my gosh, here I am, and here is a place of gratitude for me, right? We right. do this, if in and. It helps us. We all serve a purpose. There are no extra people. I say this all the time. There are no extra people and there are no extra circumstances. Each one of them will be used to do what it's meant to do if we will allow it to to have that effect in our life. You are free. You know, Freedom is Your Birthright is my book. You are free in that moment to say, you know, well, that's his situation. He's there because of his choices. I'm still angry about having to do to get my hair wet and this and that. It's unfair, right? But it's all you're free. And you exercise your freedom very nicely when you say, wow, this is a moment. Thank you for being where you are in this moment to reconnect me to source, to reconnect me to gratitude. So, you know, your service to me in this moment right now allows me to reconnect to what's true and for me to go forth and provide service to someone else. And we're doing it all day long. You know, he's sitting in the wheelchair. He had no idea that he's providing a service, but he is. He he is on his life's journey. And we can look at it in you know, a lot of ways. Woe is me or, you know. But when we look at it, it's, wow, you just served me right now. Your Your presence brought me back into awareness. That's what these emotions are supposed to do when we utilize them properly. That's what they're supposed to do. And I hit, I talk about that a little bit in the book, but I don't go a lot into it because it's a tiny little book, less than 100 pages on purpose. But, you know, emotions serve such a great purpose in our life, and it really is to reconnect us with self, to reconnect us with self. Mm-hmm. Because when we're reconnected with self, we're going to do amazing things, not only for ourselves and our immediate uh, family members and our circle, but for the world at large. Right. I mean, just being part of a collective that um, is raising vibration into, you know, greater love, greater acceptance, greater compassion, more gratitude, um, all of those things. This is, this is what the, the, the Starseed movement is, is doing, trying to um, elevate the light. And, <clears throat> and even if there are people, you know, across the seas, uh, if 
if only 20% of the world's population would get up to um, a certain level of that compassion, that kindness, that awareness, um, um, acknowledging blessings and uh, accepting people, if only 20% of the world would do that, it would affect every man, woman, and child because the overall um, light of the planet would be brighter. And they wow. would never even know, you know, well, things are getting better. <laughs> and so that's that's a, a mission for all of us to not contribute to the to the down spiral, to keep cranking up that up spiral, um, even even just yeah, in day to day life, you know, saying something kind to a stranger, and just watch them light up. It's so easy to do. Smile. Right. That's right. A simple smile, because you so often people, you know, we have we're, we're clenched and we're and we're um, standoffish. A simple, you'd be amazed. I have had in my lifetime recently, people smile at me when my heart is breaking, and it changed my whole mood. I mean, just a stranger just smile at me, and that smile, the energy from that smile, changes my whole. I'm like, oh, I, I. I my energy goes up. I feel a little bit more hopeful. My cortisol levels go down. I'm in a more creative state. And all of a sudden, an idea will come to me. It'll just flash through. And I'll think, oh, maybe I could try that. Or, you know, and sometimes it would flash through so quickly, those ideas that I can't hold on to them. But then I'm just grateful that, no, oh, there's flow again because I've let go of that energy that was blocking flow. There's flow again. And it ha- how does it happen? A stranger smiled at me. So please, no one underestimate the power of a smile because you just never know what kind of day the person that you're walking past is having. And a smile could turn it around for them. Their perception could change just because of a smile. It's, it, there's a lot of power in that. And, and, it, and it goes both ways. You know, I mean, you smile at someone, it makes you feel good too, and 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 you don't have to, um, you know, have a global TV show. You can just do it at the grocery store. Right, the ground roots, you know, the ground roots effect is more powerful with everything. When you do the, the oh, grass, yeah. grassroots, grassroots effect is more more powerful than anything. You know, just smiling at the grocery store. And I love that you made that point earlier that it is a two-way street. And I think we missed this, and I'm glad you said it twice because I wanted to make a comment on it the first time you said it, is that we think we're doing this for the other person. And I started off by saying that service really ignites me. It is... It, because we really do believe that we're doing it for the other person. But what happens is this boomerang effect, and it comes back, and it pops us in the head or in the heart or in the spirit, and we realize that, wow, everything that I was giving off in the way of helping has come back to me. Now, the the converse is true as well. When we're giving off this um, energy where we're standoffish or less than helpful or we're just – not in the best spirits, that boomerangs too. 
right? So and we want to stop that energy. If you're in a space where you realize that, gosh, I'm looking at my life and my day, and it just seems as though these things, situations, and I talk about this in the book, and people say, you know, I should have never got out of bed today. This day is going worse and worse and worse. Check and see what you're giving off. That's the time when you make that statement to stop and smile at someone. Stop and compliment someone genuinely. Stop and, you know, just anything. Just be of assistance. Change the energy surrounding you by assisting and being a help, making the decision that you will not participate in death and dying. Right? We're not going to do that. Right? So the next right. words that are come out of your life are going to be life life affirming, whatever they are. Hope you have a nice day. That's a life affirming phrase. Right? So that right. helps to, to uh, re remove any negative energy around you and push into your space more positive energy. These things, I started off by saying how simple they sound. They're very, very simple, but we live in a culture where it's become more uh, popular, if you will, to be less positive, more negative. And, and I'm not saying positive as put your head in the sand as an ostrich and act like it's not happening. I'm, I'm saying using your words to affirm as opposed to using your words to destroy. Big difference. Huge Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the power of the spoken word is is second only to the power of the written word and and certainly, I mean, the power of your emotional field. So, you know, I mean, if you're going to walk around inside a, a garbage bag, you know, stinking up the whole place because your energy is so um, off, and, and down, uh, all you have to do is just take the bag off <laughs> and right. and do something uh, for someone else, and that that's just enough to to change you know turn the tide. Oh, it really is. You said do something for someone else. So it reminds me of one other conversation I had just like a couple weeks ago, and the lady said to me, "I'm so tired." of doing for other people, when is it going to be my time? When is it going to be my time? And I heard her heart, heard her story. She's been helping and helping and helping. And I just want to spend a quick second speaking to that because I know that there probably is a listener who's in that space who's just crying out and saying, you know, when is it going to be my time? I'm giving and giving and giving, and there's no recompense. There's no nothing coming from me. Well, Two things I want to say first and foremost is that you cannot give from an empty vessel. You give from your overflow. And what that looks like, if you picture, if you picture our body as a honey pot, and I love this example, it just makes me smile. But if, in your little honey pot, think of Winnie the Pooh in the honey pot. And we think of our insides as honey. And so when, when we've filled up with so much honey that it's flowing over on the outside of our honey pot, that's where we give from that overflow because that uh, sticky goodness and sweet honey that's overflowing just have that cartoon image in your mind that's where we're giving from now if you're not overflowing it'll be challenging to authentically give it doesn't mean you have to have an abundance of money or abundance of friends or even a, a really really healthy body it just means that you have to be filled up with love for yourself for those in your immediate circle, so much so that it's spilling out of you. Irregardless of your current situation financially or with your relationships or with your with your money, but it's flowing out around you. That's the space that you give from. 
that's the energy that you're giving is most effective. That's where you cause the most change. So if you are listening and you're depleted, you just feel like, I, I got nothing else, else to give. Programs like this, self-care, looking into self-care, builds you back up so that you can go and return to a life of service. Because that's really what it's all about, is being about service. But we do have to make sure we service ourselves as well. Right, right. <clears throat> like putting the uh, oxygen mask on yourself first before you help the person next to you on the airplane. Right. Um, you, you, you have to you have to do that. Um, but as you were speaking and talking about the 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 lady who was wanting to know when it was going to be her turn, um, that sounded like a deep religious filter, because organized religion will tell tell us that if we serve and sacrifice, then we'll be rewarded. Well, she served and sacrificed, and she didn't get her reward, and and there was something that's just like really wearing her down about that. But if you, you, you have to be of service because you love doing it, not because you're waiting for the paycheck. Right. It's, you know, it's, right. The motivation has to come from a different place. But if, but if you've been trained that, you know, you get you got to be good. You have to serve and suffer and sacrifice, um, and then you get your reward. Well, that's just that's just one of the biggest lies on the planet. So you have to you have to serve from a place of fullness, exactly like you said, yeah, and not because not because your you know your your church told you that you know you have to deplete yourself in order to be holy. <laughs> that's just like not true. Um, this. So not true. And thank you for making that point because, and you're right. That's one of those filters, isn't it? It's one of those filters. Uh-huh. Says, in order for me, in order for me, oh, that's wonderful. In order for me to give to you, I've got to sacrifice. I've got to, you know, as they said. And I grew up uh, going to two churches. I didn't say that in the beginning. I grew up going to a um, Pentecostal church on Sundays and then a New Thought church on on Saturdays. And and I, I can remember that it was. Uh, Give until it hurts in the Pentecostal church. So we gave, and you got into an uncomfortable position, hoping that um, once at the end of all this giving, you'd be in a position to receive. And that's that's not balance. No, and it's and it's not it's not the proper motivation. Right. No. Not it, you not know, yeah. in the least bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you don't give because someone told you you'd go to hell if you didn't, and so you give because you don't want to go to hell, um, that's just. I mean, I, I don't mean yeah. to really laugh, but it's it's so preposterous that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I doubt that most of our listeners would would believe that, but um, because they kind of got they've gotten past that. Um, so we have a very spiritually awake audience, and I know that they're totally understanding. Um, where you're coming from and what you're t- trying to teach. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. So, um, well, is there anything else that you would like to, a point you'd like to make in parting? No, just this one point for all of our listeners today and for us as well is to realize that in this moment right now, right now, with everything that we know and those things that we don't know, with everything that we have and those things that we don't have, with the current decisions that we're making in our past decisions. In this moment, right now, we are enough. We have enough and we know enough to deal with this moment right now. Receive that. 
stay out of the past. The future will take care of itself. Be in this moment and do what is necessary in this moment. You are equipped. Your journey has brought you to this place. That's beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, and your love with us in our audience. And I want to uh, remind everyone about your website, uh, which is um, www, of course, dot Dr. Dr. Dravon, D-R-A-V-O-N, James, J-A-M-E-S, dot com. And um, you still do your radio show? I do. Every Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's a live program. We're on www.unityonlineradio.org. Okay. Good. Well, then people can check out. (laughs) The name is Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at that, so I'm just like I've got it printed up, so I knew that that's what it was called. But um, yeah, Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Yes. On Monday at five Eastern. Okay, and um, your book, Your uh, Freedom Is Your Birthright, is also available on your website. And um, hopefully you're going to do some other stuff that is, um, you know, in writing and in being of service. Uh, So when you do, you're welcome to return and uh, get us caught up on what's new in your life. I would absolutely love that. Thank you for extending the invitation. Well, you're so welcome. So uh, we're going to wrap it up now, and we'll be back next week. And until then... Everyone, make a conscious effort to show kindness, feel compassion, and remember your blessings in every day. Good night, Drayvon, and good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 